The View from the Lane is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined again today, again remotely, by Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. So today we're going to get a bit nostalgic on the show, uh, looking back on the 1998-99 season. If you're an Athletic subscriber, you will have seen that we are doing a series of articles looking at all sorts of different teams, issues and events from the 98-99 season, uh, including Tottenham, who Charlie's writing about, so this podcast will tie in with that, but then I think in future weeks we might choose to look at some other favourite Tottenham seasons of the past. If you've got any ideas, any topics, anything you want us to talk about, please tweet us or send us an email to let us know. Obviously there is no current football to talk about, you all know why, but Charlie, what is the latest from Tottenham this weekend? Well, yeah, I mean Spurs are actually one of the last teams that were more or less, um, not training as usual, but they were still reporting for training. I think up until... So I lose track of days, but as of last Thursday, they were still training. And obviously there was the Premier League meeting. Uh, the resumption of the league was moved further back. And so they didn't go in on Friday. And uh, yeah, they're not going to be reporting in for training for the next couple of weeks, at least, probably. Um, so they're at home, most of them doing their own thing. You know, for some that's rehab. Others, it's just staying in shape. So, you know, you've seen various... Uh, Spurs players sharing videos of themselves doing what looked like quite terrifyingly intense workouts at home uh, and doing all they can to stay in shape. Obviously, we, we talked about this last week. The challenge is we don't know yet when the resumption will be. So it, it's hard to have a program in place thinking like, right, I'm going to be in peak condition on April 4th or whatever because it will probably move again. But yeah, they're doing all they can to at least, I guess, like maintain a, a level of fitness. What was the most difficult looking workout by a Spurs player you saw on Instagram? Well, Lamella was doing one that just looked really intense. And I think then he, one of his kids came in and, uh, yeah, I, I, I just newfound respect for, for all of these players. Harry Kane as well was going at it very hard, which, uh, yeah, again, doesn't surprise you knowing, knowing his work ethic. But, yeah, exhausting just watching. Yeah, I find Harry Kane's gym, gym and rehabilitation videos are always hard to watch because even when you know he's some way away from fitness, what he's doing looks so difficult mm. and, <laughs> and strenuous. Um, hats off to Harry uh, but look obviously no real football for a long time so we're going to get nostalgic today and look back into the 1998-99 season which was I mean it's, it's an awful long time ago Spurs were in a very different place then but I think there are still some themes or similarities which will be reminiscent to Spurs fans of the present day um, obviously the season started with Christian Gross as manager but after a few games, he was sacked and replaced by George Graham, of all people. Uh, James, as a Tottenham fan, how did that feel? I mean, it was a very, it was a very strange situation. I've just, I've just run the numbers. 
using uh, highly advanced technological uh, systems. And it turns out the Spurs got the same number of points from the first seven matches as they did this season, which was seven. Um, oh, wow. So the parallel of an unpopular manager uh, coming in sort of in the autumn it isn't the only similarity between that season and this one. They'd started quite badly and gross. I, 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 my memory of it was that he went a little bit later, but actually he, he went after three league matches, I think. And, and they kind of sort of picked up a little bit and David Pleat was the caretaker manager and there was this weird prolonged spell of... Alan Sugar sort of semi-publicly courting George Graham and it being sort of public knowledge that Spurs wanted to bring Graham in. He was at Leeds at the time. During this period, there was a game against Leeds, a free-all draw at White Hart Lane, very un-George Graham, uh, where both sets of fans kind of made it quite clear that they didn't really want George Graham as their manager. Um, And it was all very strange. And it went on for sort of two or three weeks. And then, you know, it wasn't like the kind of overnight covert Jose Mourinho arrival that we saw this season. Um, it, It really, really dragged out. Uh, and then he eventually came in and it was just, it all seemed very strange. I mean, to me, I, I was, wow, but I've been then sort of 14, 13 and didn't really have like many memories of Graham's arsenal. So on a kind of personal level, it wasn't like a massive affront to my sensibilities as a Spurs fan, but it, it just felt like such an unpopular thing that it almost wasn't really, it, at that point at the start, it felt like it wasn't really worth the bother. And I remember there being quite a lot of fuss his first game was at home to Newcastle, I think, a 2-0 win. And I just remember it being like really sort of miserable and feeling just like, you know, not like a kind of a, like a fun day out, which is what my kind of earlier experience of going to Spurs had been, even when they'd lost. Amazing. That's really interesting. Because like, it's easy. I mean, for me personally, my first memory of Graham, I think, was him getting sacked for taking those bungs from Arsenal. Yeah. Um, but obviously, before then, he was an incredibly successful manager of Arsenal. Like, won the league twice, won the League Cup, won the FA Cup, um, and had a fantastic tenure there. Charlie, what do you... I mean, w- was he a great manager in the 1990s? Was he still a great manager when he got the Tottenham job in 1998? Yeah, I think he was. I mean, it's as you say, he, he'd obviously fallen from grace with... Um with what happened there with the Bungs. But I mean, as recently as 94, he'd won a European trophy with Arsenal. That was the Cup Winners' Cup and a tactical masterclass, Mourinho-esque in the final against Palmer. So he he had that. And also, he didn't come straight from Arsenal, obviously. He'd been at Leeds and he'd done a pretty good job there. I mean, he, he'd gone in and in his first sort of half season, I think he went mid reasonably early in the 96, 97, and they were like deathly dull in that period for that first season. And it was like, oh, my God. But then, actually, his second season was pretty good. Uh, Hasselbank came in and, and, and Leeds played some decent stuff. So, And he left Leeds. To, he was still at Leeds when he joined Spurs. And his reputation was still very good then. So I think, you know, if, if, you, leave, if you hadn't had the whole Judas narrative, it would have been seen as a pretty exciting appointment. Obviously, that's a big if because that did slightly dominate how he was viewed by a lot of Tottenham fans. And that became very much the story. But uh, yeah, he was still very much an elite manager, I would say, at that point. The, the thing that I think younger listeners probably need to bear in mind is that, yes, this was a guy who, who won trophies, but it, it was very much in the mould of sort of a Mourinho, very, very down of football, probably even more so, to be honest. They weren't, that, that Arsenal side were a really, really good side, but they were built on that, they were built on that fantastic defence. And yeah, there were you know, players like Merson, who um, was clearly massively technically gifted. But it wasn't like a kind of classic side in terms of like swashbuckling football. It was very much, you know, the the chant 1-0 to the Arsenal very much came to the fore in that period. And boring, and boring I, Arsenal. And boring, boring Arsenal. And all, all, many other popular songs about Arsenal are available. Um, we don't necessarily need to go through all of them now. 
It's interesting, um, though, actually, like just another uh, comparison with Mourinho is that certainly by the end of Arsenal, w- when the team was more limited and they became a cup team, they were very reliant on that defence. But that 91 title, a bit like how Mourinho fans would point to the Real Madrid title, uh, they actually played some pretty exciting stuff. You know, they, they weren't as dour as was made out. But then the the latter periods uh, of Graham was very much built on those one 0 wins. Certainly, that cup winners cup was, uh, I think, quarters, semis, and the final were basically were won by one 0 wins. So it it became more of a narrative uh, towards the end of his time, which obviously was more recent. So yeah, when Spurs fans are you know bringing him in, he's got a this boring reputation, and he's. Mr. Arsenal in a lot of their eyes. The other thing James. as well is he, he was very much like Alan Sugar's man. It was Alan Sugar's appointment, and and, and for I'm sure one week we'll talk about Alan Sugar or, or whatever. But I, Alan Sugar was clearly massively unpopular as the Spurs chairman, and I think it, it felt so much like it was Alan Sugar's appointment, and it was his. It was kind of like a symbol of Alan Sugar not really caring what Spurs fans thought. I guess that that was kind of. I think that was the, the big problem was that, or the biggest problem was that. People were unhappy with the way Sugar was running the football club, and that then you've got him sort of disregarding the fans' opinions on who the manager should be, and just bringing in who many would have deemed like the worst possible person to bring in. More comparisons with today, of course. Possibly. Do you think the suspicion was that, in the same way that in 1994, when Sugar went out and signed Klinsman, Popescu, and Dumitrescu, basically just to make a splash and for attention and to to win the fan, like basically to just for reasons of profile, I think, more than anything else. Do you suspect that that was the same arguments behind his appointment of George Graham? Possibly, yeah. I mean, look, I don't I don't think you can question for, for the reasons that Charlie's mentioned. You know, Graham was a massively successful manager and he had done reasonably well, even at Leeds. So I don't, you can't really question his motive in, in a footballing sense, but I, I just think it's, it's probably foolhardy to disregard fan opinion when yeah. uh, y- your own standing among the fan base isn't particularly great. And I... And, you know, you're right to kind of highlight a slight similarity with this season again. But Sugar standing among Spurs fans and Levy's, I think, are still very like, vastly different, I'd say. Yeah. It's just kind of open question for you, perhaps, James. Is This was... So this, I believe, was Alan Sugar's last appointment as Tottenham chairman. Yeah. And the next appointment, three years later on, was Glenn Hoddle coming in from Southampton. Yeah. yeah. Which was Enoch's first appointment. Now, when, Ho- when Spurs got Hoddle from Southampton... I remember it being incredibly unpopular with Saints because they were, you know, I think that was back in the Rupert Lowe era. Yeah, North London, North London Yobos, I believe. North was, London uh, Yobos, Rupert exactly. Lowe's, yeah. Saints took great exception to Spurs coming in and taking their manager away from them. Now, I, I genuinely can't remember this. Was there a big... Were, were Leeds unhappy with Spurs coming and getting George Graham in 98? Vaguely, was, yeah. I think, it, I think it was more sort of like a, the kind of standard sort of public courting of a manager... Yeah, um, and it was all kind of leaked out into the press. And you know, if you're if you're Leeds United, um, it, it were a better team in Spurs. Then I I I suspect I not actually checked the previous season, but I think they must have finished higher. They did. I um, think Leeds came something like fifth in ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, they were pretty decent with Hasselbank, weren't they? they were, exactly. They were yeah, and you know, you, you've started your season, and it's only sort of you know, as I said before, I think Grace went three games into the season, and then Spurs decided quite quickly they wanted Graham. If you're Leeds and your season just got up and running and then, you know, you're, you're kind of doing okay and then this other club come along and sort of say they want your manager and make an approach and his head is turned and then suddenly it's all a bit of a all a bit of a circus, you, you'd be you'd be annoyed. And I think that is kind of similar to what happened with Southampton. I mean, as soon as the job yeah. became available, 
Which is worth saying that, that Graham got sacked after winning an FA Cup quarterfinal at West Ham. Yeah, um, and interestingly, actually, like I was talking to a former player about that today, and he was saying that um, you know he felt if Graham had stayed on, they would have won the FA Cup that year. They said it, it, it had a real momentum, and so I think there was widespread surprise that he to sack a manager on the eve of a, an FA Cup semi-final. And I remember at the time, people wondered whether. Graham had been sacked because should he have won that semi-final which was against Arsenal in 2001 and then won the FA Cup it would have been very difficult to sack him um, but you know we'll never know it's not the kind of thing you would really see Levy doing now I don't think like like sacking a manager who was doing reasonably well to bring in someone who was basically just a fan favourite who hadn't really necessarily shown that they were any better a manager I mean mm. Hoddle had done well at Southampton and very well with England reasonably well with Chelsea before that Whatever we say about George Graham, he had he had that League Cup that we're going to talk about in a minute, you know, in his back pocket yeah. and everything else he'd won before. It wasn't like he was doing necessarily particularly badly. No, and just on that, Leeds were fifth the year before, and I think so. Peter Ridsdale, I think, was maybe less enraged as Rupert Lowe was. Ridsdale was the Leeds chairman at the time because there was David O'Leary coming through, and I think the idea was that at some point O'Leary would take that job. He was very much being reared for it, so it probably just accelerated a process that was already in train. And then when George Graham came in, the suspicion from quite early on was that he was on a collision course with his best player, David Ginola. Um, George Culkin, our athletic colleague, did an interview with Ginola recently, which is a fantastic read, largely about his recent recovery from a heart attack. But Ginola admitted that he, you know, lots of people speculated that his time at Tottenham was over when Graham came in. Um, James, how did the two end up working together, George Graham and Ginola? I think in Graham's first sort of two thirds of a season, it actually worked really well. And in fact, Ginola won the Football Writers and a PFA Player of the Year. Uh, and Spurs won that League Cup and got to an FA Cup semi-final, and it, and it kind of th- that kind of defied expectations, and, uh, and it kind of felt like it actually worked quite well. It was the following season when I think there was a game away to Kaiserslautern in the UEFA Cup that Ginola got left out of, and it all suddenly sort of started to unpick quite quickly from there. And I think there was another game, maybe at Old Trafford, a League game, and Graham picked Matthew Effrington instead, and it all kind of started to slowly sort of feel like. Ginola actually was going to end up being on his way out after sort of 18 months of Graham. Um, and then as as Ginola says in the interview that he, he did with uh, George Colkin, Alan Sugar came to him over the summer and said, yeah, George Graham wants you gone. And, and that was it, really. He went off to Aston Villa. And it was all kind of a bit of a sort of a bit of a damp scrib of an ending, really, for, for a player who had made like a massive impact in the first sort of two and a half seasons he was there. Yeah, I think that when Ginola joined Spurs, again, I was talking to a few, been talking to players from this era for various nostalgia pieces we're doing on the 98-99 season and they felt that when he when Ginola joined on him he was given actually a lot more freedom than he'd had even at Newcastle under Kevin Keegan and you know he reveled in that but obviously that was probably going to become an issue at some point when you've got a manager like George Graham who does demand um, you know such work rate and kind of defensive discipline from from most of his players if not all and then on the point of how good he was which you know is the kind of main thing from his time there he he was absolutely outstanding in that in that 98-99 season I mean you you think he won the uh he won the player of the year the players player of the year and the rice player of the year in a season where United won the treble uh and that may have been to a degree that they slightly split the vote but it was also just because he was such an outstanding individual and he was still given the license to to play in that kind of maverick exciting way and you think of him cutting in from either wing and you know he could shoot off either foot 
Um, and I guess the most people's defining memory of that was that goal against Barnsley in the FA Cup quarter final, where he kind of weaves past uh, the Barnsley defence and finishes beautifully. So he, that season was you know almost certainly the finest of his career. Just looking at the numbers, I mean, he got in that season he only scored three league goals in thirty matches, which I mean I just don't I don't really think that a player who as superb as he was helped his team win the League Cup, scored three goals in the Premier League and sort of four in cup competitions, didn't play in Europe at all. I just don't see a player like that that would win those awards now. I don't mm. know how you two feel about that. I just feel like, I just can't envisage that that would happen. Yeah. It's like, no, I don't I don't know, know Michu didn't win the, 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 the season that Swansea won the League Cup. I can't remember who won the League that season, but obviously it wasn't Swansea. No, it would have been United. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly agree that like the 1990s were a really good time to be a very, very skillful foreign playmaker who came to England and could bamboozle defenders like Alan Kernahan uh, <laughs> and just like have an absolutely great time but you didn't actually have to do that much in terms of goals or assists because you're like that just wasn't really how it worked like Georgie King Clancy didn't score like buckets of goals for City but he was still like City's best player by a million miles I know he was, King Clancy was slightly different from Ginola and just before him but there were a lot of play like that was a big thing for players around that era Whereas now there isn't really anyone like Ginola or Kinkladzi in the Premier League. It's just the role has mm. changed completely. Yeah. But also yeah, back true. then, like the the league, the different the, t- the teams are winning the league now with like a hundred or so points. In '99, United won it with 79, which is so much. Few- I mean, Liverpool were at that after like <laughs> 20 odd games this season. So like there there wasn't quite the same level of dominance, which meant other players got more of a look in. I think you know. Whereas now, if you're winning the league with like 100 or so points, it just feels ludicrous to to give those sort of awards to anyone who's not playing for those like top two teams who are just so much better than everyone else. Yeah, I guess actually the technical standard of the league is so much higher now that like, you know, you know those kind of players are few and far between in the league back then. There weren't, there weren't many teams that had a player like anywhere near that level in. Whereas now, you know, there's probably there's probably over a dozen teams in the Premier League who've got kind of players that you would, you would, you would want to watch. You know, if you look, think of players like Troyer at Wolves and, you know, whoever else. There are, lo- yeah. there are loads of players like that in the Premier League now. now. There are clubs who have like four or five like amazing players like that. Even that Manchester United team didn't really have like... like they were all brilliant players. Mm. But like flair players who'd like get you off your seat even if you were just sat watching at home. I don't really think there are many of those. Yeah, no, that's true. I think as well, like on a granular level as well, the voting is always done at quite an early point and it was around when that Barnsley goal went in. Um, so maybe an element of recency bias as well in the votes that, you know, he had just done this incredible thing. My favourite did thing of that season, I think, was the FA Cup fifth round game, a replay at home to Leeds, which is a game, which is a game I think maybe more famous for the goal Darren Anton scored where he like oh, hit yeah. through the ball from like 35, yeah, yeah, yeah. 40 yards and went right oh, in the yeah. top corner. It was amazing. But there was this run from Ginola where he picked, he picked the ball up on the right and dribbled all the way across like the edge of the penalty area, all the way across to the left-hand side, and come cuts like yes. right back inside across the other side of the penalty area. Has this amazing shot like with the outside of his left boot, goes across Nigel Martin, hits the inside of the post, bounces across the goal line, and then comes back out. But George Graham sat in the dugout for it had gone in, and he was celebrating for ages afterwards. And like <laughs> the game had like carried on, and George Graham was like celebrating with Chris Hume. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from all around the world. All you need to do 
is go to www.beer52.com forward slash the lane and pay the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the View from the Lane podcast, you will get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash the lane to get your case free. And don't forget right now, listeners get two extra free beers. The season is most famous, along with David Ginola's performances, for winning the League Cup, or the Worthington Cup, as it was back in 1999. And James, they had to beat Liverpool and Manchester United on their way there, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they did. I mean, that Liverpool team, I don't think, was a particularly great side. Probably not quite as good as the current Liverpool side. That's probably, <laughs> it's probably fair to say, isn't it? Just below the level, yeah. Just a smidgen. Um, was that the was that the joint manager season? It was, yeah. Yeah, so it was. I think yeah. they'd have got. I think Evans would have gone by that point, but yeah, it was that season. I think it might have been around the time that that change happened. Actually, <laughs> that was probably the final straw. Maybe it was. I mean, I I I can't remember that much about the game. I remember Alan Nielsen scoring like going through one on one towards the end to make it three one, and like Spurs winning at Anfield, feeling like an absolutely massive thing. Which I think they may which actually it is. only. I, mean, I think they may only have won there once since then. Yeah, it would be maybe. that 2011 one. 2011 one, yeah. And I think yeah. that they'd won there maybe like kind of two or twice maybe in sort of 20 years before that. And then there was that like run of sort of no wins after sort of 75 years or something. Yeah, so it's yeah, like, yeah. It's, quite, it's quite important for Spurs to win at Anfield. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah, and then in the quarterfinal, a, a really good game against Manchester United, who it has to be said, weren't at full strength. Michael but, Clay, no, Spurs, Spurs my, my God, Jonathan Greening. Have you got this team there now? I do, yeah. Although actually, Did Teddy Sheringham play? John Curtis. To be fair, you've also got like Sheringham, Solskjaer, Giggs, but Ronnie Johnson, Henningberg. I mean, Beckham came on. It's not terrible. Alex Notman came on in the seventy-second minute. Who? There you go. Alex Notman. I believe it's is he Alex. Norwich. Is he Norwich? Is he Norwich legend? I feel like he might be. It is Alex. Yeah. Uh, yes, Norwich, Kings Lynn. Yeah, come on. King, oh, yeah, Kings Lynn. That's what I meant. Yeah. I course. only remember him from Football Manager. Really. Yeah, that name doesn't mean anything to me at all. <laughs> yeah, he's very he's very kind of chap manager ninety seven ninety eight, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was one of the, I think, like, I think he became really good. Up. Yeah, yeah, just like yeah. real life. I should, mm. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, go down this route too soon. But have you guys downloaded Championship Manager in the last week or so? I actually haven't yet, but I'm sort of trying to delay all of those things when I really, really need them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I'm the same. I'm, I'm terrified of like loading up Football Manager and just kind of being stuck in it forever trying to do better than Mourinho. You, you, you don't want to pull the lever too soon, do you? Like, mm. it's, it's only it's only March. Anyway, sorry, we should get back to the Worthington Cup. And then, of course, Leicester City at Wembley in the final. We missed out the semi-final, the semi-final again. Oh, sorry. With Stefan Everson's amazing sort of chipped finish. I mean, we should probably just oh, yeah. touch on one thing that I know Spurs fans who were around at the time will remember that season, which was the crazy run of games against Wimbledon. I think it was five in 32 games. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry, five, five, five games in 32 days against Wimbledon. Oh, my so God. So a Premier League game, a Premier League game yeah. in, in kind of mid-January that finished 0-0. 
the FA Cup fourth round game that was 1-1, the first leg of the League Cup semi-final at White Hart Lane that was 0-0, the FA Cup replay at White Hart Lane that was 3-0 to Spurs, and then the second leg of the League Cup semi-final at Selhurst, which was 1-0 to Spurs. Yeah, that's got to so be yeah, a, in the space one of, of a record in recent times anyway, before, I mean, obviously in the days where there were like five replays, you might have more, but yeah, that's I mean, it was just, and they were just terrible, mostly just terrible games as well. It was a really sort of horrible, that, that Premier League game, the first one there was, I think maybe the worst game I've ever been to. It was awful. It was a it's grim like a, Wimbledon team, wasn't it? It was the year yeah, before they went yeah. down. And... Yeah. Is it, and it's a Wimbledon team that the Spurs then kind of plundered for half of like Ben Thatcher yeah. and Chris Perry and Neil Sullivan oh, and yeah, yeah. Spurs as well. Leonardson had already moved. Uh, I think Leonardson might have been at Liverpool by yeah. then maybe. Yes, but sorry, Jack. Uh, Leicester at Wembley. And that... Leicester team, I mean, until until kind of four years, four or five years ago, you would have said was like the best Leicester team in our memory. But clearly, you wouldn't say that now. But it was a, it was a decent side. They'd just been promoted to the Premier League like two or three years before. They'd won the League um, Cup a couple of years. Before. They'd won the League Cup in nineteen ninety seven, the first season they were up. Martin O'Neill was their manager, and this was in the time when, if you remember, Martin O'Neill was being really heavily linked with the Leeds job when Graham yeah. came to Spurs, and it was a whole kind of managerial merry-go-round situation. Um. But yeah, there were decent, you know, players like Neil Lennon, Emil Heskey, Robbie Savage, Casey Keller. A decent side. Um, and yeah, they, Spurs <laughs> took ninety-three minutes to score a goal against them. And Charlie, you wrote about the uh, the particularly the incident between Justin Edinburgh and Robbie Savage. Yeah, so I spoke to Justin's son, Charlie. Um, Justin, for those who haven't read the piece or don't know passed away last year um after suffering a cardiac arrest so it's quite a poignant um you know moment reflecting on that with his son but he's very sweet charlie he uh he'd been at the game as a six-year-old and when his dad was sent off for clashing with robbie savage tried to leg it out of wembley uh like tears streaming down his face smudging his white and blue face paint uh, eventually his aunt talked him round and he stayed and uh got to see spurs win with a last minute alan nielsen goal and his dad came back on the pitch and I think uh, enjoyed the celebrations and all of that. But yeah, it was sort of classic Robbie Savage, uh, like agent provocateur, kind of went in with a pretty big tackle. Edinburgh retaliated and he got sent off. And I don't know if you remember at the time, but there was this big clampdown on raising your hands. It was, that was the terminology. And I think because you used to be able to get away with it and suddenly you couldn't. And uh, yeah, Edinburgh was a victim of that. But it was a tight game. I mean, like, you know, chances for a few chances for both sides but um yeah obviously Spurs pinching it and since then they've only won the 2008 league cup so which is kind of crazy when you think that was 21 years ago a few brilliant things about that that savage incident well first thing I should say I mean Justin Edinburgh basically flicked his hair he just didn't touch his face it was all like hand through hair there's nothing in it um in the days of VAR, I honestly think maybe that gets overturned and he stays on the pitch. But, you know, whatever. We're over it now. <laughs> um, actually, we're not, because Sav- Savage got abuse from Spurs fans like every single game after that, every time for like, however, like, like 12 years or whatever it was after that that he was still playing. Every Justin single time. came to terms with it. His son's come to terms with it. You have to. If I haven't, I, I haven't, <laughs> and I never will. Um, and the, the brilliant poetic justice of it was that I think Robbie Savage was subbed off after like 88 minutes. Yeah. Uh, trudged very, very slowly off the pitch, wasting loads of time. And then Spurs scored the winner in injury time and then time added on at the end of the game. Never yeah. mind. Well, because he, he'd clashed I think, with Nielsen and Freund as well. So I think he was taken off almost like for his own good. 
uh, sort of thing. And and what's funny, so in this interview with Charlie that I did, he he was saying that a few months later they were on holiday in Portugal with the with David Kerslake's family and Colin Calderwood's family. For those of you who kind of haven't got enough of kind of retro Spurs defenders, they're oh, all away in. <laughs> an absolute I would read an athletic article about that holiday. I know. I'm trying to find out more. Um, go and relive that holiday. Anyway, there they are in Portugal and they're going out for dinner and then Charlie, Justin's son, spots Robbie Savage um, out with his girlfriend, now wife, and we just like couldn't believe it and was sort of, you know, I said to him, were you like saying to your dad, you've got to go and like, you know, hit him? And uh, he kind of was like, yeah, I probably did say something like that. But I think in his words, Justin kind of restrained himself unlike he had at Wembley. But yeah, just the, the chances of that happening is just remarkable. Amazing. Uh, James, when you look back at, at this, did it... Do Spurs fans feel as if winning the Worthington Cup effectively justified the appointment of George Graham? I mean, I think people probably it probably quietened it down a little bit. I mean, it was the first trophy they'd won for eight years, which is kind of roughly in keeping with the gaps between trophies that Spurs have had in the last sort of 30 years, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the people that were against the appointment for the reasons they were against it weren't really swayed by winning the League Cup. I mean... I, he, he was always the man in the raincoat. It was never George Graham's blue and white army. It was always the man in the raincoat's blue and white army. And that, that didn't really change after that either, to be honest. And and didn't they, uh, Tottenham should also maybe have got to the FA Cup final as well, but messed up the semi-final and extra time against Newcastle? Well, I mean, you say messed up the semi-final of extra time against Newcastle. And in very much in keeping with me being, being bitter about things for 21 years, Nikos Dabazas handball in the penalty area in that semi-final at Old Trafford against Newcastle, uh, unpunished. And then Alan Shearer scored at the other end. So, you know, for a pen- you, for a handball penalty, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. after a handball penalty, so yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's you know the injustice still lingers. <laughs> Again, if only there'd been VAR. <laughs> if, yeah, exactly. But it's true. I mean, you know, if there had been VAR, Spurs probably would have won the FA Cup as well, and you know, it wouldn't have been the trouble, and no one would care about Manchester. So, right. so two teams would have had, ha- yeah, they would have had the double that year, and United. Yeah, and uh, the probably Spurs probably would have won the league as well. Probably, I don't know. VAR. I mean, whatever. <laughs> But then, of course, Spurs could have decided the fate of the Premiership on the f- on the final day of the season when they went to Old Trafford, and because Arsenal won their game, if Spurs had have got if Spurs had had stopped United Drawn. from winning that game, then Arsenal would have won the league. And when Spurs went one 0 up at Old Trafford, they had Arsenal fans cheering them on, only to collapse in Spurs classic Spurs fashion uh, to United in welcome not- fashion for once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how did you... I mean, James and Charlie, you both had skill in the game. How did you feel about this one? Uh, well, well my, my memory of this is uh, George Graham actually cr- trying to kind of butter Spurs fans up a, a little bit by suggesting he was going to play Jose Dominguez in goal. And Jose Dominguez was uh, like a Portuguese winger. He was five foot five. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how well Amazing. he would have done in, done in goal. Probably even worse than Ian Walker. It, it didn't really feel like Spurs needed to go in. And I, and I say this with all due respect to that Spurs team. Um, and I have a lot of affection for a lot of those players. But they didn't need to like go away to this like treble chasing Manchester United and bin the game. They were just going to lose anyway. <laughs> it wasn't like they needed to kind of throw it. it. It was a surreal. So I remember like you watch it back and Ferdinand scores and he's not really celebrating much. Uh, the fans aren't really celebrating. And actually, this is something we're going to look at for this ninety eight ninety nine. Uh, series and it is funny I mean all the players will tell you you know you never go out to lose a game you're fully focused etc etc but uh, yeah I think a few of them and certainly the fans weren't exactly gutted to lose that game (laughs) 
This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist's time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy, delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. So James, the big question is George Graham's Tottenham versus Jose Mourinho's Tottenham. Who would win? Who would play better football? And who do the fans feel more affection for? Oh my for? God. Um, are we factoring in kind of current injuries? Is Harry Kane and Son going to play? Uh, I'll leave that down to you. Sorry. Okay. Well, let's assume that they are. Um, I, don't, I don't think it would be a particularly exciting game, but I do think the current team would uh, overpower the, the 99 team. I mean, they're clearly better, aren't they? Let's face it. Yeah, I mean, the answer to these questions, unfortunately, is always, like, the modern team because mm. of <laughs> how football's changed. Yeah, yeah. But I think even just relatively speaking, this is still a better Tottenham team. I think Ginola would take the absolute piss against that Spurs midfield of today. Oh, yeah, Ginola against Aurier. I mean, that is... <laughs> oh, my God. My world's, my world's colliding. That would be incredible. I would actually pay to watch the current Ginola do that to Aurier, actually. Uh, one other question, James, I had on my mind. Who was, in terms of, like impact and glamour and performances and everything me like is is there any contest between uh klinsman and ginola uh, oh yeah that is a good question because ginola arrived what four four years after klinsman three years after klinsman three years right? uh that's a difficult question actually i i mean it was massively exciting when klinsman signed you know just like Played in the World Cup and then come to Tottenham and it was kind of an unexpected thing. But then at the same time, Ginola was like one of the best, one of the best players in the Premier League, and yeah. it was madness that Newcastle sold him. Really, uh, that's really hard. I mean, and also Klinsman came back the second time and, and basically the season before the season we've just talked about and basically kept Spurs up. Again, Wimbledon. Uh, it was that. It was those. Yeah, goals Wimbledon. In that game, yeah, exactly. Four, four goals at Selhurst Park against Wimbledon when it looked like Peter Fear was going to send Spurs down. Was it 6-2 um, that game? 6-2, yeah. Yeah, crazy score. 6-2. Uh, I, I, I would say Ginola probably just about, purely in terms of the fact that they won that trophy. But, I mean, Klinsman, like goals per game ratio across the two spells is insanely good. Also, was there not a slight bit more of an ownership with Klinsman because, uh, you know, they were his only English club and he was... It, it was Spurs who brought him to England at a time where there were very few of those types of players. Whereas... Obviously, Ginola achieved so much with Tottenham, but he was also kind of part-owned by Newcastle when we look back on him uh, kind of nostalgically. Maybe that doesn't matter. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure that makes much of a difference to me, to be honest. Fair. Great. Well, um, thanks very much for joining us. Oh, there's one other bit of Spurs news that has happened this week that we wanted to discuss. 
And that is the shock departure of Academy head John McDermott, who has run the Spurs Academy for the last few years and been a hugely influential figure at the club, uh, but has, is leaving to go and join the Football Association. Um, Charlie, what do you make of this one? Yeah, it's a big, um, it's a big, big deal. This like he's a guy who is massively well respected at the club, has been there for a long time, um, you know, fifteen years or so. So, um, yeah, it's gonna, you know, we've spoken to a lot of people and we're gonna have a piece out on this. Uh, and yeah, a lot of people are saying it's gonna be a really tough act to follow. He knew the club inside out. Um, the you know he was tough to work with, but the players responded very well to him and obviously during his time you know you've had players like Kane and Winks and Mason come through um you know it was a bit of a there'd been a bit of a dry spell and he and Chris Ramsey and others had this long-term vision it was a 12-year plan and when they started in 2005 um they thought it was a 12-year journey that players had from joining at say 9-10 to being in the first team uh very much focused on the individual that was a really important thing for him um, so yeah, a, a big loss for the club, and interesting to see who comes in to replace him, or if they move things around internally, or if it's his job is sort of split between more than one person because he was doing such a big role by the end. Mm-hmm. 